Welcome back. I'm Zinati Kuma and you're watching Stockwatch this week and joining us for a review of the week's stock performances and answers to your stock-related questions is Tamsang Laneta from Shiloh Capital. Send your questions via SMS to 41392. Email us at stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag stockwatch. Thanks so much for your time, Tammy. Uh, not a lot of company news out this week, but there was a lot of movement uh, when it comes to the macroeconomy uh, and monetary policy. We did see the RAND back above 19 RAND. Um, what is it that the RAND has jitters about at this point? No, I think we've just got to accept a few fundamentals about the RAND. At the top of it is that as a currency is generally overvalued or undervalued by a degree of 20 to 30 percent. Secondly, it's the, it's the most liquid emerging market currency. So the trade of it is largely a representation of, of asset class. And thirdly, I think it's an indication of where uh, asset managers see South Africa as an economy. So uh, buying in and buying out the trades of people exiting assets and entering assets. Yeah. So I, I think uh, if you look at the, the global trends of risk on and risk off, we're, gonna, we're, we're most likely to see a lot of volatility in the czar going forward. I think what's very important is that we, we don't try and catch falling knives or we don't try and bet on how high or how low it can go. I think we must continue to trust that the central bank will do its job and that the, 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 the fiscal policy initiatives will be sufficient to bring us back to sustainable levels of growth, uh, which is why the inflation rate is being targeted so 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 harshly. So this is the thing, Tabi, because also one of the considerations that the Reserve Bank makes is where the RAND is, right? Um, and you talk about the fundamental drivers of RAND volatility and even RAND weakness at the moment. Uh, but then you have the Fed saying that they will continue to hike rates, uh, which is something, of course, that will uh, threaten the carry trade. Um, what options does the Reserve Bank have at the moment when we are looking at Iran that is not necessarily um, uh, something that is of our own doing um, and also just trying to keep the value of the currency? Yeah, I think it's, it's important for us to, to message to our citizens appropriately. Yeah. Uh, we, we live in a developing economy where we are, we are not a reserve currency. So the Reserve Bank can't print a bunch of Rand and hopefully taper and make make adjustments to the asset base and asset prices we we are largely based or pinned to other european currencies the euro the the dollar the the yen and so on and so forth which is largely why uh, there's large discussions around BRICS and pegging ourselves differently but once you understand those elements the central bank then has limited tools their monetary authority and their mandate is inflation targeting so the interest rate tool they have is to address the rate of inflation, which doesn't affect the currency, but is not fundamentally the real lever South Africa needs. The real lever South Africa needs are fiscal, and that's where the finance minister and his policy frameworks will be in, and enable the country to deal with certain things. Right now, we've got a lot of post, uh, push inflation coming from costs of, of supplies and goods and logistics which is largely outside the control of the consumer. Uh, and as a result of that, we have a very, 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 very difficult framework for the central bank to deal with, with a blunt tool called interest rates, which has, then again also hurts the consumer and, uh, as well as consumer confidence. So uh, at this point, uh, we've got to be quite pragmatic as, as a people and lean on Inokonukwane to do more with his role 
than trying to lean on, on, on the central bank governor to use his one tool to bludgeon the consumer. Yeah, so uh, but in summary, uh, the road is long as a direct translation there, Tabi. <laughs> uh, let's get to the viewer questions. Um, there's an interesting question here uh, on a BE listed shares. Uh, can you ask your guest about the investment case for the BE listed shares? Uh, secondly, some BE schemes do not include the public to subscribe, but only employees and black-owned businesses, which is limited to few people. Uh, BE listed shares, Tommy? So there's, there's two fundamental issues to be addressed with that. The first one is liquidity. Uh, can, can people trade the share and can non-historically disadvantaged individuals participate, which would be the key element? Yeah. And if they did, how so? The second issue to address is the framework of each scheme is different. So if you look at how MTN or, or SASO deal with their frameworks, they differ. And I think what needs to come out is, and in partnership with the JSC especially, is a framework in which people can participate in these shares. How do you participate? Can non-historically disadvantaged people participate? And if so, what framework do they use to participate? And those things are important because they drive liquidity to that market. These shares have value, but only find the value post. And that's largely because there's no liquidity. And it's, it structurally makes it difficult to, to have an investment case because it would seem like a value play. But in reality, until you can find a, a liquidity event, the stock remains underwater. So I think liquidity is the key issue in the frameworks in which both historically disadvantaged and non-historically disadvantaged individuals can participate in that market. Yeah, all right. Uh, well, um, uh, let's go into another company that also has a BE uh, share scheme, uh, MultiChoice. Um, the, there's a question here. The headwinds and uncertainty for MultiChoice keep piling up. Uh, do I hold or just cut my losses now before things hit the fan? There are so many things right now uh, that are causing all this <laughs> uncertainty, Tammy. Um, I, I don't know. What can you say about MultiChoice? So fundamentally, multi-choice faces three headwinds. The first headwind is digital. How do they address the competition that comes from the Netflix and the Disney's of this world? The second headwind is uh, the monopoly they currently have on sport. So how do they manage whether they can continue to own those rights? Because that's where the real issue is. And then thirdly, how do they manage their competitive advantage across the continent? Uh, that then will be the key element. So it's, those three things are very difficult. They're complex. They're trying to do that with Showmax and compete. Um, but in reality, the, the anchor of multi-choice right now is in sport. And it's because they have got a lot of premium sport on hand, which is cricket, soccer, and rugby, the big three, uh, they, they will continue to be relevant. But when it comes to the, the, the other things they produce, the shows, the movies, uh, the, the other documentaries and programs, they may have great challenges from guys like Netflix and Disney. And then the other one is the price point. Um, if you look at the price of getting uh, a Disney subscription or a Netflix subscription vis-a-vis -vis the price point of multi-choice, uh, it becomes a painful thing. So over time, I think it's important for them to adjust. If you are an owner of the shares, um, and especially the BEE shares, I think take, take your money off the table, keep it moving. Uh, the BE price for the first Pumulani shares was a magnificent. That that was a great return. The second round now is going to be complex. They are much more competitive. 
there's a reason NASPA spun them out, um, and you need to understand that concept as well. So I would say take your money off the table. The headwinds for them are quite competitive and going to be difficult going forward. Tell me, I also want to zoom into uh, the Showmax investment uh, because there seem to be uh, concerns as to how much money they will have to put into Showmax so that it is, um, you know, competitive and it brings in proper returns. But also, even with the, the, the shareholding, with, with Canal Plus, now, um, you know, owning so much of multi-choice, looking like it might go to that 35% level, but then you have these laws uh, in terms of the voting rights. What do you make of all of that? Does that add to the uncertainty? Yes and no. What what the Canal Plus thing does, it, it gives an indication that there may be a bigger brother who wants to have that kind of exposure to an African market. Yeah. Um, so so we may see in the next two, three years some form of offer from a significant shareholder like Canal Plus. With Showmax, you, you, there's, there's an analysis you can use, which is Netflix. You can see how much it costs Netflix to keep products product going through their channel right now they are buying a lot of it and not producing a lot of it and those costs of of putting content in display is quite hard especially when you're competing with a disney which has already paid the money for its content so they've written it off so what they are putting on is just now uh, profit then you've got netflix which understands how to spend money and has been doing it for a while hulu showtime goes on and on it's a big competitive environment uh, and then the last element about it all is the data side um showmax will always just like all these other platforms will always have to compete against tv for date because of data cost so those elements all add up showmax potentially could cannibalize mm -hmm. uh, the dstv framework and that may not necessarily be great for the shareholder yeah, all right. Yeah, quite a lot to chew on there on multi-choice. Of course, this will be one that we will be looking out for. Um, there's a question on, uh, please do an analysis on MetAir and Diskem. Uh, MetAir, there's been quite a lot that's been happening there, um, including the uh, inflationary pressures in Turkey, um, but also some seeing that as just uh, an accounting uh kind of calculation and you know they've been operating in this environment and they should be fine uh, but then you also had the challenges that they had with the KZN floods uh, here in South Africa last year but those seeming like um, you know it's, it's coming back uh, online um, you know the challenges uh, were just you know last year's issues um, but quite a lot of things that they've been dealing with including uh, a changing of the CEO so what do you make of Mete? Um, they, they, I think, are in a transitional period. They're beginning to deal with uh, the forces that come with being a multinational company. And I think that's a realistic thing. You've chosen, they've chosen two emerging markets to, to, to establish themselves, Turkey and South Africa. And those come with inherent risks. Uh, their accounting issues are just an indication of what is potentially possible. But there's a lot of risk managing two businesses in two regions which have a lot of change and volatility that happen. They also have faced a lot of uncertainty because of the nature of their business. Uh, if, if you look at things like the KZN floods, you can't control that. There's nothing they could have done to control that. But it has happened to them, and they have to adjust. The change in management is yet to be tested. Um, it's out of, out of the frying pan into the fire. So I think as a business, 
as what they do to make money and revenue, they're good at what they do. Um, can they steady the ship through these headwinds? That is yet to be seen. So I would say if you are in, hold on to your, hold on to your stock and keep it moving. If you are not in, stay and watch until there's a level of comfort you have in the management and in the understanding and the learnings they will have from dealing with other emerging markets like Turkey. At that point, I think then that will be a great, a great point of entry when, when you have confidence that the new management is on top of the situation. There have been uh, kind of um, hummings that they might uh, spin out. There is the battery storage um, business. Uh, if you're already in, do you maybe also hold on maybe for kind of value that could come out of that if it does happen? Do you think it will happen? Uh, firstly, I don't think it will happen. I think they're just testing the market to see the value of that business, yeah. especially with the way battery technology is going. Uh, I don't think they would want to spin it off. I think they are rather communicating to the market that we have value. Um, it's not just a, all these parts of the businesses that you know. We also have uh, battery storage. We have we have the ability to go into new markets and new areas. Yeah. Uh, so I think it was more a case of smart market communication. And I think the message is heard loud and clear. They are able. They are able to do what they do. They now need to communicate further about how they're going to handle. Um, Otto von Bismarck said, "Circumstances are stronger than the plans of men." So they now they now need to show that they are able to navigate the circumstances which they find themselves in. Yeah. And if they prove that, they will be. It will become. They will become a very valuable enterprise over time. Uh, all right. Well, before we get to your stock pick, let's talk about Diskim. Uh, your analysis, they're seeming like a steady business. Uh, they've had their uh, acquisition um, trail. Um, yeah, what do you make of, of Diskim? I think they're a great business, um, but they're going to face the same headwinds as a lot of businesses that have to bring in, buy, manufacture, store uh, their product. Um, they, their retail storefronts are great. Um, they always have customers. Their savings and loyalty programs are also great. Um, the downside is, can they get their products to market at a, at a cost-effective way? Um, because largely, they're they not just providing medication. They're also becoming a retailer, in essence. And once that happens, you're, pro, you're, you're now starting to compete with other retailers, and it becomes about cost and convenience. So can I get my medication at the same place I can get my energy drink, at the same place I can get my toilet paper mm. at a reasonable cost in comparison to me going to a pick and pay, a spa, and a shop right? Or a Woolworth. And once you're in that fight, you've got to make sure your margins are meaningful. So I think that's where uh, the, the retail side of their business is where the concentration needs to happen. Mm. I think on the, on the pharmaceutical side, they are strong, very strong. They'll continue to be. Uh, and they will continue to support, provide market support. But the retail, that's where the attention to detail has to be paid. And hopefully they can navigate that. I think they're a great business. However, I think they need to start looking at uh, expansion outside of South Africa in a careful way. Uh, not necessarily rest of Africa per se, but start looking at other regions in the world where they can begin to, to go to, to sort of mm. go further down the value chain, get their logistics better, get with drugs better, get supply better, then maybe consider that. I think it's a it's the next phase, which is a difficult thing. It's mm. hard, but I think it's possible. Very, very interesting take on, on that. Thank you so much for that, Tammy. Let's get to your stock pick for today. Uh, transaction capital, I think they've got 
the stock might still go lower than expected right now. But I think they've got good management. They've got a good plan. And uh, my view is if they continue to develop, especially around their technology, to ensure they, they risk manage better, uh, they introduce the right technology, which I think they're going to start doing, um, you're going to have a better risk management platform, and that will result in better returns for, for, for your business and for shareholders. The key element they have to focus on is risk management if they've communicated that that's something they're looking into and they are focusing on strongly. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time and for your analysis and insights today, Tammy. That was Tamsang Laneta from Shiloh Capital.